That's it. You know what that sound means? It means that they are here, the computer guys and gal. Bill Harlow is a hardware and software technician for Macs and PCs at Mid-Atlantic Consulting Incorporated. Bill Harlow, welcome. Thank you. Made it here at a normal time after daylight savings, so I'm very happy. The weather is so beautiful, you just want, wanted to get out of your house early. John <laughs> Gilroy is Director for Business Development for BLT Global Ventures. John Gilroy, welcome. I had a hard time leaving the liquor store for the show. But I got a well, nice know, weather. It is what it is. <laughs> Allison Truen is a professor at the iSchool at the University of Maryland and special advisor for National Digital Strategy for the National Park Service. For whom she is not speaking, speaking today. That's right. Okay. I don't represent the ideas okay, of the National okay, Park Service okay. or the U.S. government. Okay, okay. <laughs> now that we've got that out of the way. <laughs> South by Southwest, the much-anticipated music, film, and interactive media festival was criticized for canceling two speaking panels under threat of violence. The two panels slated for next spring planned to address harassment in gaming and the gaming community at large. Bill Harlow, can you explain the backlash that followed and describe how South by Southwest responded? Yeah, um, well, they, they responded poorly, um, but uh, th there were two panels. One was uh, just about uh, strategies and ways of uh, developing your services and apps to uh, minimize the impact of uh, online harassment because it's, it's quite a thing. Uh, Gamergate was uh, or is a movement that kind of uh, targets a lot of uh, people, mostly women in games who speak out against this sort of harassment. And this panel... Um, received a lot of downvotes and online harassment from people and that's you know and, and South by Southwest decided to shut that down as well as a panel discussing Gamergate issues and uh, you can imagine that it, it's kind of ironic that a panel about harassment gets shut down by online harassment don't you think Allison? Oh it, it's really sad um, in fact it was almost, it reminded me of, you know how you have websites where basically, you know, people post nasty things and then so they just take them down before they respond to anything. Mm -hmm. um, in in some ways, we really need to carry on this conversation. It's an important conversation in the face of harassment. The question is how to do it safely and how to do it justly. And that's really, really hard. And so I think South by Southwest did come out. You know, and um, actually, the uh, this uh, the interactive director actually said they made a mistake. That online harassment um, is a menace that he uh, that actually has often resulted in real world violence and and systematic discrimination. And they were going to try and create this this one day online um, online. Uh, Experience Summit um, in just focusing on Gamergate and online harassment and um, hopefully in doing it in a safe way. Um, and they were going to do it live streaming as opposed to having people in person there. So hopefully this will uh, be able to address the issues in a way that all the views can be uh, pointed out. 800-433-8850. You can call us or you can send email to koju at wamu.org. Do you think the new summit is the appropriate response from South by Southwest? What message does it send to you, 800-433-8850? John, South by Southwest was originally wrong, you think, to cancel the panel because of the threats? You don't want to uh, back away from a bully. You want to punch a bully in the nose. And what they were doing is they were backing away from the bullies. And, uh, hey, I've got uh, three sisters, a wife, and two daughters. I, you know, I'm not going to put up with this nonsense. Show me the guy. I'll punch him in the nose. If so, is the new summit enough as an, of an apology for the original panelists, or is it just a way to appease critics? 
Uh, depends on how you want to read it. Um, it's certainly better than nothing, but I think you know this sort of uh, this topic needs to be an, um, an ongoing discussion. So not just a one-day thing. Ultimately, segregating the conversation is it does doesn't feel quite right. right. I mean, that's the that's the bottom line is that you know we we worked hard on not segregating people with disabilities, not segregating women from men, and now we're sort of segregating conversations because this might not be safe and in, a safe in-person experience. So. So we do have to think about how we can have these kinds of things within a, a large conference because that it's not just about the conversation at the session, but how it can filter throughout the rest of the conference and make a larger impact. Every Tuesday, Faceback is now giving employees an option to use slower internet speed. Why would anyone select that? Well, Facebook's engineering team for emerging markets wants to collect data on how Facebook users in developing countries use the site on slower connections. The internal program is called 2G Tuesdays and would last about an hour. Allison, break down 2G Tuesdays for us. Can you explain the difference between a slower 2G or 3G network and a faster 4G network? Well, it would take, here we go, um, an awful lot of people are getting, um, getting online in developing countries where it takes two minutes to download an image intensive web page. Okay, and that's not talking about what happens if there's advertising on there to slow it down even worse <laughs> hey, with I video to, and so I on. I used to have dial-up. Okay, <laughs> and, and, you know, we've gotten so used to, well, you know, half a second, half a minute, whatever mm. it is. But, I mean, but two minutes to download, um, you know, an average web page. Now, Facebook is very interested in being um, the Internet connection for the developing world. And so, actually, they're um, they're trying to, to work within their company to, to give people a sense of how do you design for that audience that is, um, you know, it's not that they're any, not any smarter and don't have any more needs than anyone. I mean, they're, they're just like everyone else, but they, they have a much slower connection. So what do you do to design and how do you connect content um, and give people access? Now, uh, so there are some people um, outside of the company that are a little bit mad at Facebook because they feel like, Facebook is trying to advantage um, those people that are actually um, getting online with Facebook mm -hmm. um, directly. So uh, in, in some sense, going against net neutrality um, and, and so on. So we'll see what happens. But it is um, it's really interesting, an interesting experiment. Um, but now just remember, these people are only being asked, the employees inside Facebook are only being asked on those 2G Tuesdays for one hour of slow internet connection. What would happen if you had to do an entire day this way? Hmm? Indeed. Would you consider working on slower internet for one hour if it benefited research used to improve internet surfing in other countries? Give us a call, 800-433-8850. What if employees only opt into 2G Tuesdays to complete tasks that are not maddling, maddeningly frustrating over a slow network? Would that skew the data? It, it could, um, but that is also a, a useful um, bit of data to know that you know, people tend towards going to, for the low-hanging fruit when they work that way. I guess the one difference is they know that after that hour is up, they can go back to doing the, uh, the heavy lifting. Um, but it, it is really important to, to see things through this lens. I remember like, you know, back in like, the university days when T1s were uh, the, the hotness and you had dial-up at home. And my friends and I would refer to a web page having T1-itis when uh, it would have all this multimedia and it would just load blazingly fast on the university connection. You go back home to a dial-up connection, and
and it just it, it never shows up. <laughs> well, it teaches you some things about patience. When we were in Ethiopia last year, we were talking with an uh, individual who's a high-tech person, and he said that there are times during the day when he's working when power goes off and you don't know when it's coming back. And That's he right. said, what do you do during that time? He says, well, you find out that there are things you can do without access to the computer <laughs> and without power, and you simply find a way to do those things. That's right. That's so right. Facebook wants to know how people in those countries are operating. Facebook is not the only tech company looking for user-generated data to improve its services abroad. This month, Google put out a call for German and Arabic speakers in order to prepare its translation service for the surge of what could be 800,000 to 1 million asylum seekers from Syria, Iraq, and Afghanistan in Germany. In a YouTube video, Google shared its goal of improving 2 million transma- translations and invited users to participate. How does translation software work, Allison, when not enough bilingual users are available to test it? Well, what's interesting about this, um, and I have to give a, a disclaimer that I actually know enough about this because my husband actually worked on some of the internal technologies. Um, you go, Ben Peterson. Ben Peterson, <laughs> yeah. Actually, you had him five years ago on the, the show talking about these technologies. I found that... that uh, I remember it distinctly. They, I'm so, <laughs> he rolls Let me his eyes. That. Okay. <laughs> anyway, um, but to go back, when you have imperfect technology and you have limited human abilities... What you have to do is think about how you can use the strength of technology and the strength of humans to solve a problem. And this is what um, this is what uh, Google has done with thinking about uh, German to Arabic, Arabic to German. It is not a common. It's not common that there are people that know both languages, but yet you've now got an infiltration of all of these people that are going to need to know something between those languages. And so um, what folks at the University of Maryland did uh, a bunch of years ago was think about what if you only know one language? Can you help with translation? Well, the answer is actually yes, because what you can do is if the machine translates it imperfectly, at least they translate it something, okay, which is getting at the meaning, but really is not human, natural language kind of thing. But you as the human can read that sentence and say, you know, it would sound much better instead of saying, uh, the car doesn't wheel correctly to the car rolls forward incorrectly or something like that. Okay. Mm. And so you can, you can make meaning from what you see in your own language and then help to teach the computer the better way of knowing it. And so it's uh, originally was called Monotrans. Uh, Google was great in funding, uh, in funding Maryland to do this work, and then they picked up pieces of it, and now they're working on um, this with German to Arabic, Arabic to German. Um, but really, it's, it's awesome because you've got to do this stuff with uh, machine translation um, because it's just never going to be perfect enough, at least not in the uh, foreseeable future, without human help. Do you use Google Translate in the U.S. or abroad? Give us a call, 800-433-8850. How effective is it? You can also send email to kojo at wamu.org. Shoot us a tweet at Kojo Show. Google is not only looking for German and Arabic speakers, but readily asks for translation help for 118 languages. John Gilroy speaks slurring. You can join. <laughs> you can join the translation community, as they call it, on their site. Um, Bill, 
In a deal worth $5.9 billion, gaming company Activision Blizzard has acquired King Digital Entertainment, best known as the creator of Candy Crush Saga. This happened apparently yesterday evening. Mm -hmm. We all saw that game on everyone's phones, in my case, everyone else's phone. (laughs) It was definitely addictive at one point, but consumer spending on the game has dropped 13% in the past year. What are we to make of this deal, which surprised a lot of people? Well, um, a lot of uh, people in gaming think that mobile is uh, the future, or maybe more specifically, it's it's. Uh, they hope it's the future because um, consoles, I don't think, are going to be the future forever. I think a lot of game companies don't feel that way. Uh, one uh, big Japanese developer, Konami, is kind of getting away from big, expensive uh, PC and console projects to. Uh, their particular parlors and to mobile games. Uh, Nintendo realizes that they can't keep selling bespoke uh, mobile hardware forever, and they have partnered with a company called DNA to begin uh, shipping uh, Nintendo-published uh, uh, mobile games uh, next year. Um, I looked at uh, Electronic Arts, and what's interesting with them is right around the time the iPhone came out in 2007, um, they started acquiring a ton of casual and mobile uh, game developers. So it's not just Activision. This is probably the splashiest thing. You know, $5.9 billion is huge. And Activision um, is one of the biggest publishers with a lot of the biggest names. So maybe they figured they wanted to go with one of the biggest mobile guys to kind of uh, um, have that front covered as well. I mean, think of this number. Candy Crush has 474 million monthly active yep. users. Whoa. billion in this deal. Disney purchased Lucasfilm for $4 billion in 2012, (laughs) the same price they paid for Marvel in 2000. What goes into the valuation of of media companies this large, or are they too different to compare? I mean, I'm not smart enough to compare the two. Um, Certainly with uh, with the games, they they must see that uh, this is still a growing market, and there's probably a lot they can learn. Plus, Activision's capturing, as you said, John, a massive audience, and they're learning a lot about how that audience spends money. Um, A lot of these trends in mobile gaming, free-to-play, in-app purchases, cool-down timers you, have to, you can pay to, uh, to uh, speed up. Those are things that are kind of creeping into some of the, what the so-called core games that typically were you buy them once and you play them. And it's interesting, too, because big, expensive video games, they've been 50 to 60 bucks as long as I can remember, and everything else has gotten more expensive. So clearly making games is a very expensive endeavor and has gotten only more expensive as time has gone on. Well, we saw the same kind of valuation in the gaming company Rovio when Angry Birds became a hit. I still got it on my phone. But they, <laughs> but they failed to reproduce their initial success. Or Zynga, too. Do you remember them? No. Oh, right. Farmville. Yeah. Farmville. One Hit huge. Wonders. We yeah. call them in the radio world One Hit Wonders. Well, put on your headphones, John, because we're going to the phones. Here is Rem in Falls Church, Virginia. Rem, you're on the air. Go ahead, please. Hi, Kojo. Yeah, I'm a huge fan. I've been listening to you for a long time. Thank you. Um, I just wanted to give my perspective on the uh, whole Gamergate issue. I've been yes. keeping up for it. I've been keeping up with it for the past year. And that South by Southwest panel, there were two panels that were canceled. Uh, one of them was called Save Point. And they actively tried to distance, distance themselves from the Gamergate, you know, tag and movement or anything or whatever you want to call it. Right. And, uh, and because, and it doesn't matter because it, the pe- two, two of those people participated, uh, two of the people on that panel, Mercedes Carrera and, uh, oh God, uh, Lynn Walsh. They participate. Uh, they, they engage with the with Gamergate quite often, and uh, they it, it, it because Gamergate's the scarlet letter. It, the panel wasn't about the panel was about a discussion of, about the gaming community, and they they just it, it was canned for some reason. I don't. It, 
it didn't matter whether it was really about Gamergate or not. Right. It sort of became, uh, I think South by Southwest sort of made it into like an opposing sides uh, conversation when they were kind of different conversations. One was about Gamergate, and this one, Save Point, was just about harassment in general. And they, I don't even think in, in their description of the panel they brought up Gamergate once. That's right. It, it, I think in a way you, you raise a good point um, is that they sort of uh, they equated the two unfairly. Right. Um, and possibly had had one not been uh, accepted and the other one was, then there may not have been uh, this overlap between the two. Here now is, and thank you for your call, Rem, Richard in Arlington, Virginia. Richard, your turn. Yes, how are you today? Doing well. Uh, good. Um, I, I'm going to change my subject a little bit um, about this gaming issue is what piqued my interest now. Um, I have a disabled son, and I've just discovered that he's spending his entire Social Security disability on in-app purchases on gaming. And I'm just wondering if addiction to gaming is really a big issue uh, that can be treated the same as it would any other addiction, such as gambling, uh, because uh, he's spending everything. And it, it actually, uh, this game that he does is called War of Nations, and it's by Gree, G-R-E-E. And they make a million dollars a day just on the one game in in-app purchases. Uh, I think that this is really going to be problematic in the future, increasing bandwidth for these gaming applications. For um, Bill Harlow? Well, I don't know how you treat it, but I absolutely do think that addiction to gaming is, is an issue. And um, especially with these where the, the friction um, between uh, spending uh, money and buying stuff in games is awfully low. I mean... You tap a button, your credit card's already on file, um, you don't really notice it, and um, they, they've done a lot of research when they make these games. They know exactly how people play them, and they know, um, they, they have a term for people who spend a lot of money, they call them whales, and they do everything in their power in these games to maximize uh, the impact on these so-called whales to get them to spend more money. Um, now, Bill, remind me... Um, at least with our kids, okay, mm -hmm. my 16-year-old, um, in fact, we just had this conversation the other day, um, said, hey, how come every time I want to go and get an app, um, I have to get it okayed by you, right. all right? Now, I know when you go and buy an app, there is a way to, like, stop your kid from buying it until you okay it, but on the in app purchases is there any way to stop that? i believe if you have the family sharing if it's on, on iphones yes. uh, i believe if you use the family sharing um, it's the same with in-app purchases you need to approve those i don't think you can get in there but a son could be an adult sure and, and if you're an adult then yeah that, that gating is no longer there that's right so it really honestly it depends it, it's going to depend on the you know if your if your son would be willing uh to allow you to to, to stop them from uh, you know, or at least having the conversation before you okay it kind of thing. But I, I don't know. How old is your son? Uh, 32. Yeah. Okay, so, that won't no. work. Yeah, yeah sorry. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but Richard, thank you very much for your call, and good luck with your son. We're going to take a short break. When we come back, more of the Computer Guys and Gal and your calls, 800-433-8850. You can send us email to kojo at wamu.org. I'm Kojo Nandi. It's Diane. The next meeting of my book club is on Wednesday, May 31st at 1 p.m. Eastern. I'll host a discussion of Mad Honey by Jody Pico 
and Jennifer Finney Boylan, followed by a conversation with the authors. Find out more and register at dianereem.org slash book club. Welcome back. This is the computer guys and gal. Bill Harlow is a hardware and software technician for Macs and PCs at Mid-Atlantic Consulting Incorporated. Allison Druin is a professor at the iSchool at the University of Maryland and special advisor for national digital strategy for the National Park Service. She's not speaking for them. John Gilroy is director of business <laughs> development for BLT Global Ventures, and we take your calls at 800 800- Four three three eight eight five zero. Brace yourselves. It could be the end of the all-you-can-eat Internet and what seems like a direct response to the cord-cutting trend. Some Internet service providers are experimenting with limited Internet plans for residences that resemble the data plans you have for your smartphone. Comcast, for example, has been offering service maxing out at 300 gigabytes in some areas of the South and Southwest. John, how likely is it that all-you-can-eat Internet will be phased out, and how far will 300 gigabytes get you? How much data does it take to stream a movie, for example? Well, the answer involves uh, Bruce Springsteen. And really? uh, he wrote uh, 500 channels and nothing to watch. I mean, people are rejecting the cable. They're ca- cutting the cable. or cable cutters. Mm-hmm. And so I'll just watch on uh, Netflix. I'll watch the Kojo Nambi show on Netflix or whatever the Bill, you know, Bill show on. And so these companies have to make money. And they go, well, let me see now. Old Joe Schmo out there is cutting this cord. We're going to figure out a way to get that money out of him sooner or later, somehow, brother. And so I think this is the, the big motivation. I mean, this cash cow is going away. And, and you know, with the um, this capitalist economy that we have, good or bad, I mean, they're going to try to make money somehow. And so if they're going to catch, oh, well, the plan, well, Allison's got this plan of 300 mil. We'll do the same thing for a smartphone on her, her, her account here and see what happens there. So they're testing it out in about a dozen cities. And I don't I don't think we're going to I think it's going to be a big, big, big fight. I think the next uh, couple of years they're going to have all kinds of people yelling and screaming and the computer guys and gal, wow, 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 guess what they did in Arlington. Wow, 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 there's no more all you can eat. And I think it's going to happen. Well, I hope they do yell and scream personally. That's just me. I'll be, I'll be one of the ones um, with the megaphone yelling about it. Yeah, therefore, Again, how far will 300 gigabytes get you? How much data does it take to stream a movie? If I'm streaming a movie every single night. SD or HD? Huh? Yeah. HD. Uh, HD. So you're, you're looking at probably uh, about five to six gigabytes per movie. For a two-hour movie. Yeah, for about two- four for a two-hour movie, something like yeah, that. Yeah, and it depends, it, it depends on the content of the movie. Compression varies depending on the content. But most homes have two or three people running at the same time. And, I mean, this mm-hmm. is sure. – you're going to run out of gas fast here. Maybe the tenth of the month you're going to go, whoa, I need to fill well, up here. Well, let's say you've got uh, – you, you stream Netflix in your family and you've got someone with an Xbox and uh, that person downloads a new game. And sometimes the games are free. You know, that's, that's 25 gigs potentially just for that one game. You install – uh, the latest Mac OS or Windows on uh, on your computer. That's another five gigs. It can add up really, really quickly. Not to mention uh, online services like uh, online backups. You back up your entire hard drive. You know, that could be your entire... Right. Your, your photo library could be your entire cat for the month. 800-433-8850. Would you opt for pay-as-you-go internet at home? You can also send email to kojo.wamu.org or go to our website, kojoshow.org. Join the conversation there. Speaking of paying for things that once were free, there's a new YouTube called YouTube Red. Pay $9.99 a month and you get video streaming free of ads. But, Bill, don't most videos allow you to skip ads after just a few seconds? Is there a big enough market for YouTube Red? We'll see, because on the one hand... um I don't mind paying for things I like. Um, I mean, it's what nine ninety dollars, nine ninety nine per month for uh, a subscription, unless you're on iOS where it's twelve ninety nine, so they can get back the uh, the cash grab Apple has on that. Um, 
But in this I, case, you're paying to avoid things you don't like. You don't like ads. I don't like ads. And what's interesting, too, is I don't know if this is something that's been ramping up and I wasn't paying attention, but uh, there have been a fair number of unskippable ads. Um, and there have been some where I know the video I'm looking at is maybe 20 seconds long and there's a three-minute unskippable ad before that. And I just don't even watch it. So I don't know if they're trying to wear me down before. Allow me to explain something to you about capitalists. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> When you're skipping the ads, people are not making money Exactly. Here. That's right. Well, um, and now I'm skipping the content, too, in some <laughs> cases. But it's actually not, it's actually not just about um, skipping the ads. They're be, also, yeah, you know, they're doing um, you know, streaming, uh, music streaming, as well as some original content. So in some sense, what you're getting is a combination of TV and radio, not the good radio, but uh, TV and radio um, in their... Um, as well uh, as the no ads. And so what they're trying to do is become the entertainment system. In Maybe the compete with Spotify, I guess. I don't know. Sure, I yeah. mean, is this, this conceivable? Yeah, I mean, yeah. It, 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 I don't yeah. know if the, the, uh, the Google Music is coming right away, but yet that is something that will be included as part of that. The, the original content is something I wonder about, though, because everybody's trying to cut cords, and Amazon and now Google and Netflix uh, and Hulu, they all have original stuff you can only get on, on those streams. So it could be the point where cutting the cords is more expensive than just having a TV subscription. When last, John Gilroy, have you actually watched an entire ad, either on streaming or on television? Mm. Probably 1983 sometimes. No, I, I don't know. I occasionally but you sometimes. you got remote control? No, sometimes if there's a new movie out, I'll, you know, there's a new James Bond thing, I think I read, uh, watched that so one. So some ads skip. you might actually want to yeah, watch. Yeah, something new. You know, I mean, well, the you know the, the football ads, you know, the Super Bowl ads are like the big deal, right? You, you watch those. Yep. Yeah. Unfortunately, yeah. They, yeah. I've, I've gotten bored. They've gone, they've gone downhill. Not sure which. People All want right. to talk about Google Translation. Here's Laura in Washington, D.C. Laura, you're on the air. Go ahead, please. Hi, thanks. I work in global health, and I do recruiting in probably about 70 countries or so. Yes. Um, and so one of, for me, the seventh wonder of the world when it comes to the Internet is Google Translate. I use it every day in lots and lots of different countries. But one of the things I wonder about it, it's instant. You can cut and paste somebody's resume or you can take interview questions that you're going to pose and just translate them instantly and then email them to someone. But I do find myself wondering about some of the languages and how they've come up with them. And I don't know if you guys have any insight on this, but um, like Amharic, for instance, Kojo mentioned Ethiopia sure. before. You know, it's the fifth most commonly spoken language in, in Africa, and it's not mm -hmm. on Google Translate. But then you've got these obscure you know, languages from India that are maybe spoken by 100,000 people that are on there. So any idea about, you know, how, how I can uh, lobby Google Translate to, to add additional languages? How does that determine? I'll make a call for we'll you. talk to our lobbyist in chief, John Gilroy. <laughs> I'll put it on my list and make a call. Uh, all you can do is beg and plead. I don't, know how, I don't know how they come up with it. Maybe Ben does, or I don't know how they do that. I mean, it's got to be some kind of a logic inherent somewhere. Um, it I actually don't necessarily think it may have to do with the language itself as much as it may be the country. So, um, and accessibility in the country. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, India is a very large uh, market for Internet. Um, and so I'm, I'm now, and I'm just making a guess because, uh, to be honest with you, I don't know the folks that actually do work on Google Translate. I know folks that work on Google Search. Um, so, uh, but I, I would guess that it has to do with the, the number of Internet users in a country, and then they start to think about things that way. Yep. Thank you very much for your call. On the same topic, here is David in Reston, Virginia. David, your turn. So I've used both Google and Facebook Translate and noticed um, some interesting problems 
particularly with, with nouns and proper names. Um, I've seen I've seen it translate a name um, which has a, a meaning in the language like Joe Forrest to Joe Vald when it really shouldn't. I've seen it not translate, especially words, again, nouns, and it's really hard when you're reading something like a restaurant review and it says, oh, we had really good blah, 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 blah at this <laughs> restaurant. But the, the best one that happened recently, and this goes right back to what the previous caller said, is um, a, I, was, I guess it was Google Translate, picked up a word from Gallego, the language spoken in the uh, northwest corner of Spain, took it as a Portuguese word, and what was supposed to be a vegetable turned out to be a part of female anatomy. Whoa. <laughs> so, so I understand it's a bit problematic grammatically to distinguish, hey, this is a noun that I should translate from, this is a noun that I should not. So I'm guessing that more context is needed. Yeah, and that's where the human, um, human support can, uh, human crowdsourcing can help in terms of that translation, um, because it, it will, you know... It, People understand context um, a lot easier than the the computer. The computer is actually um, uh, the, the you know the programs and such are really looking at the statistical frequency of of things and then making decisions based on that. Um, but yeah, it, that you've given beautiful examples of where humans could actually fix those translations. Thank you for your call. Google Translate can now translate text within images instantly using your phone's camera. Can any of you explain the fascinating technology behind that? It's a combination of uh, the translation en engines that exist and what's known as OCR, op optical character recognition, where um, the camera just takes an image and then uh, it it's processed and they can detect letters from that. And then at that point, uh, they've used really sophisticated uh, uh, technology to you know, create an augmented reality view where they overlay the translation on the image you're looking at, especially if it's something with a flat background. It almost looks like magic. Yeah, they may be stripping out the background and then um, and then taking a look at uh, the letters. Last month, Adobe officials confirmed that a recent Flash update contained a vulnerability that caused crashes and could potentially allow an attacker to take control of an affected system. John, does this mean I can continue putting off updating Adobe Flash? What it means is Steve Jobs was right. <laughs> he was right years ago. It's like I once had a car that the gas gauge stopped working, and so I thought I had a full tank of gas. And so, hey, I'm in great shape. I'm running out of gas. Now, uh, if you think that you're using Flash and you're all patched, you might pat yourself in the back and go, hey, I'm, a, I'm on top of my game. Well, you just have to avoid it as much as you can. I think I'm getting real scared of it now. I mean, if, it's, if it can be patched and then attacked after the pat. I mean, this is not, this is what you it's call not ideal. That bad said, pizza. If you have to use Flash, um, keep it patched. Um, keeping, generally keeping unpatched is worse. Yeah. But in this example, it uh, introduced... You're still vulnerable, so you but, can't. Yeah, but this, this example was that they were targeting government agencies. They weren't targeting um, the average person. Right. Um, so just remember that, you know, there's a, that, you know, they're, why are people exploiting, um, you know, holes and things? It's generally, uh, it's generally not necessary to get at the average user. Even our drive to innovate could be a vulnerability. A recent developer survey found that the pressure to release apps on time lowers standards for security. Nearly half of the 200 developers who responded to the survey admitted to releasing applications with known vulnerabilities 80% of the time. How long, John, is the release cycle of the average app? Why isn't tough security just built into that process? Well, this is my world. And, Competition. Uh, 
I sat uh, as a student in front of 200 uh, project managers a couple months back, the Project Management Institute. I mean, when you are a project manager and, and you work for a large company, you are expected to accomplish certain tasks, and you get bonused on certain uh, Marks. I mean, if you make uh, it within a certain time limit. Well, <laughs> and and so what happens is is that so Bill puts his shoulder to me, says, "Look, this is due at the end of the month," and and, and Bill knows he's going to get a bonus if it's done by the end of the month. And so guess what? We'll just slide it on through, and we'll 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 test it later. And this is, is a big problem. And and I think uh, people at the project management who don't want to talk about that. And there's hundreds of thousands of them all over the world. But hey, you know, it's good manager gets stuff done on time, and you know, the end of the month and quarterly bonuses and and contracts are involved, and if you delay, you, you can get penalized in certain situations. So I think this is like um, uh, dirty little stories no one talks about. That, oh, yeah, we'll just slide it by. And, and, and I, th- I, see, I see, you know, well, maybe we won't patch the, the code because we have to hit our deadline. So I think this is something that is not then talked about much. Then there's always the update. Do developers rush to get the project out and then think to themselves, oh, I can release an updated version later? For sure. Well, it's security uh, can't be an afterthought. I mean, that's the that's the real problem is that, you, you know, you can't just say, well, the interface is going to be um, pretty picture, so we'll think about that later, and we'll think about the, the oh, yeah, and if it's secure or not, yeah, well, that, we'll make sure it gets secure eventually. I mean, in, in this day and age, every single thing you have to think about uh, some sort of security uh, if it has some electronic. There's, there's a guy in town named Sony Hashmi, and he works for a company called Box. And he says, well, if you look at the big incidents in the last couple of years, they were not in cloud-based systems. They were in, in premises-based systems. And his argument is that, well, if you use a cloud-based system, it'll update itself, and you don't have to worry about that. So this is uh, another argument for the cloud. Bill, when app stores are made aware of apps that pose a significant security risk, how quickly do they act to remove it? Well, I, d- I didn't uh, catch how quickly Apple um, um, dealt with this one, but I thought it was it was pretty fast considering. So, um, an analytics company called Source DNA they had found that a number of apps in Apple's App Store used um, this uh, software development kit called Yumi, and what it uh, was doing is it was uh, getting a lot of personal info from uh, the people who ran apps with this uh, software embedded in it, and sending it back to their servers in China, which they could then. Uh, theoretically used for more accurate demographic advertising uh, targeting. And uh, Source DNA let Apple know, and Apple just delisted everything that uh, matched up with this list, 256 apps. So um, it's it's a shame it got in there, but it's from what I understand, it was kind of tri- tricky to de- detect this in the finished binary that they put in the App Store. But, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's definitely a case for... Um, Downloading things for your smartphones from unknown sources, and even then, is no guarantee it's 100% perfect. Back to Candy Crush. Here's Daniel in Arlington, Virginia. Daniel, you're on the air. Go ahead, please. Hi, Kudger. Hi, guys. How are you all this afternoon? You're doing well. Good. Glad to hear it. Uh, so, um, one of the things that I think is kind of interesting about viewing Candy Crush, and partially because I'm a huge video game nerd, is that um, you can't actually view it in the same context as console-based games. So when people talk about the valuations being corollary to a decrease in console or uh, dedicated mobile platforms, I don't actually think that the link is there because the reason that the valuation for, uh, or at least a part of the reason that the valuation for Candy Crush is so high is because it is part of the nebulous investment crowd uh, cloud that is uh, uh, mobile apps. And uh, there is a big, there is still a big rush within that market uh between VCs and private equity firms who take a look at these things with, uh, you know, kind of mixed reviews. But generally speaking, they are overvalued. And I think that what you're going to see is 
mobile might be the way of the future for video games, but the valuations are not going to continually be this high because so much of it is tied into how they perceive what their potential ad revenues are, what their potential prescriptions is, uh, uh, will be, what their in, uh, uh, revenue or in-app revenue will be versus what they think the theoretical valuation will be simply based on where it is in the market. Bill? I think that is very astute. I, um, I, I also think that, uh, you know, in, in addition to what he said about not being a direct corollary, I do wonder um, if part of that also is just the fact that making traditional games is really, really expensive and cracking out uh, Candy Crush has to be a much cheaper investment and the cost-benefit uh, ratio there is off the charts. Trying to understand venture capitalist minds is very difficult. Now, I don't, I don't know anybody. I know people who <laughs> venture capitalists hire. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, they're usually called hatchet men and they come in and do bad things. But I, I, I don't know. You try to understand that one. That's, a, that's an hour show. Got to take a short break in this hour show. When we come back, we'll continue this conversation, and you can call us at 800-433-8850. From a technological standpoint, what are you thankful for this upcoming Thanksgiving? 800-433-8850. I'm Kojo Namdi. Welcome back. Computer Guys and Gal are here. John Gilroy is Director for Business Development for BLT Global Ventures. Alison Drew is a professor at the iSchool at the University of Maryland and Special Advisor for National Digital Strategy for the National Park Service. And Bill Harlow is a hardware and software technician for Macs and PCs at Mid-Atlantic Consulting Incorporated. You t- we take your calls at 800 800- Four three three eight eight five zero certainly doesn't feel like it outside, but Thanksgiving will be here before we know it. What's new in the tech world to be thankful for? Well, the sporting goods store REI got a head start on Black Friday this year by opting out. In a statement, the company's president and CEO said, Black Friday is the perfect time to remind ourselves of the essential truth that life is richer, more connected, and complete when you choose to spend it Outside, The company is not only closing its stores the day after Thanksgiving, but paying employees to take the day off. Hear that, boss? Tech Tech retailers GameStop and Staples will not be open either. Is opting out of Black Friday really a statement about spending time outdoors and with family? Or is it a subversive advertisement for Cyber Monday? <laughs> I'll take it either way, personally. Yeah. Well, yeah. I don't care about the motive, but yes, it, 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 Black Friday has become such a crazy carnival of, of, of deal hunting. That, uh, well, but Black Friday is now they're defining Black Friday as starting on Thanksgiving. Right, and I know people who work in retail, and you know what? That's not cool, guys. So That's so wrong. I mean, basically, they're starting you know retail on 5 o'clock on Thanksgiving. <laughs> How wrong is that, right? On the other hand, now, let's just remember which store really started the trend on this and really has made hay on this is REI, and REI is obviously, what do they do? They make equipment for for people to go outdoors. Course, so yeah. there is a little <laughs> bit of conflict of interest here. Okay? Are you saying that he was trying to sell stuff? <laughs> no. Wow. Black Friday is the perfect time to remind ourselves of the essential truth 
But life is richer, more connected and complete when you choose to spend it outside, especially with gear from... You better say dot, dot, dot. With fine products, you can find it. REI, of course. But there was, okay, so research was done. Six in ten people say they hate or dislike stores that are open on Thanksgiving. And that's what we're really talking about here. It's just really, you know, um, it's being open on Thanksgiving. Um, and now, you know, Black Friday turns into that. Now, there is Cyber Monday, if you will, and quote Cyber Monday, which is that Monday after Thanksgiving that um, you can go online and get deals and so on. And many people are finding that it is a little bit more humane a thing uh, to do. Uh, you do not well, have to well, get trampled to death. Do I want to get trampled to death, you know, sitting <laughs> in the freezing cold waiting for a doorbuster? Or do I want to stuff myself with leftovers clicking my mouse on my computer screen? Cyber Monday, by the way, they project $3 billion in sales was going to be more than Black Friday. So that's the... But they're also talking about that really online sales, which is for the holiday season, are just going to blow apart. And they're talking like upwards of $83 billion in in online, kind of online sales. I was about to say mobile sales will drive much of online shopping. Will that make... Black Friday, easy, Friday easy, easier to participate in uh, without being trampled. Oh, oh, absolutely! Don't even need to get out of bed now. Just, uh, yeah, you just wake up, there. grab your phone, good to go. But um, so I do have to point out that I, I found uh, in some of my reading on this is that um, you can make an online purchase on uh, at REI, um, even though their stores will be closed and their employees will be paid. By Let's way, hear what you co- think. You don't have a lot of time left, so call now. Would you support a store like REI, GameStop, or Staples for boycotting Black Friday? 800-433-8850. Let us know right now. Allison, it is my understanding that you have something else to be thankful for, perhaps the answer to the prayers of many other iPhone users. Yes. Mm. Okay, how many of you have dropped your iPhone and cracked it? Dropped. I have. How about before I have. the show. Ten minutes before the show. Dropped. How about slam dunk? <laughs> oh, <good>. my gosh. <laughs> oh, goodness. Five, you know, literally five minutes after buying my beautiful app, my gold, uh, you know, uh, iPhone 6. Um, anyway, we won't go there. No, not iPhone 6, iPhone 5. But anyway, um, Apple is working on making a shatter-resistant iPhone screen. They've just uh, filed a patent for a sensor. Um, basically, what they're doing is they're looking at retractable, retractable bumpers that are triggered by when you drop the phone. Um, and so they have sensors. They're looking at different sensors, motion sensors, image sensors, sound sensors, sensors that will basically say, ooh, something's going on, Whoop, let's protect this screen. This is like some of those convertible cars that have rollover protection where if they roll, these little hoops pop up and right, protect you. Right, exactly, exactly. Now, in the meantime, obviously, Apple knows that they've got to keep working on the, the actual glass itself, and so they're talking about that the the newest uh, um, the newest phones from Apple um, are the strong, in quote, strongest glass on uh, um on any of the uh, mobile phones. I don't know if that's true or not. I'll take the word for it. I am not going to test it if I can yeah, help it. Yeah, I was going to say, I'd <laughs> like to, I was. I went to go try and look at, somebody must have tested this, but I haven't seen it online, so maybe you can and find the it. It's really fascinating. It's like something that only pop out of the phone between your hand and the floor. So within a tenth of a second, it's going to deploy mechanically. It just seems unusual. <laughs> well, um... This isn't entirely new. Apple's iPhone 6S and 6S Plus were released recently with damage-resistant properties. Would these features convince you to upgrade phones? Give us a call, 800-433-8850. But Obi in New Carrollton, Maryland, wants to talk about Google Translation. Obi, you're on the air. Go ahead, please. Yeah, hello, Kojo. Hi, Obi. Yeah, um, I was 
trying to use the Google uh, Translator the other day. I I I come from Nigeria, Eastern Nigeria. I'm Igbo. Mm-hmm. Uh, Igbo language is spoken by nearly 50 million people. Mm-hmm. So um, I was I was trying to to figure out you know what Google has on Igbo language, and I saw that they can translate English to Igbo. Yeah. But then when I try to do that, it comes out with something that, you know, kind of doesn't really make sense. Because um, Igbo language, the way the verb and the noun works is probably a little different from English. Mm-hmm. So, like, you can say, uh, in English, you can say, um, beautiful lady. Mm-hmm. But in Igbo language, lady will come before beautiful. Mm-hmm. So, it will, it will, if you translate that directly, it's going to sound lady beautiful. So I put in something like, um, give me the cup. So it turns out, in, uh, it turns out to something that, that, that means, uh, um, cup. Cup the give me. Give. <laughs> cup me give, you know? Mm-hmm. I'll say this. Uh, this sounds like a, a perfect job for you to help Google out. Yeah, exactly yeah, right. So, so we, we, we appreciate the fact that they, um, they are trying to, you know, bring this technology to help, you know, some of us who live outside our home country, our kids don't speak the language, and we are looking for technology, find a way to kind of help them to get to speak a little bit. Yeah. Uh, but I think they need more human touch to it to be able to give it the real uh, world meaning. Thank you. Obi, call Google. They might be able to use you. Oh, you don't actually have to call it. Just go to uh, g.co slash help translate, and you'll see a whole list of of languages they need help with. Um, And the more you help, the more uh, the better the tool is going to be for you and many other users. Very good. Ibo, thank you very much for your call. We move on now to Eric in Manassas, Virginia, who has an REI story. Eric, your turn. Oh, yeah. Um, I just want you to know that I'm going to buy something from real expensive inventory just for the fact that they're closed both those days. I worked at FedEx for 22 years, and it was a nightmare during the holidays. And uh, I just think that's really, really nice of them, especially for Pam, you know? So and they're going to get your business... The they're they're oh. going to get your business simply by closing on Black Friday? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah, Coach. If you've ever worked uh, um, any type of uh, logistics operation during the holidays, mm-hmm. you really learn to appreciate people that are going to be that decent about it. Oh, yeah. Okay, good, though. Good for you. Yay. Go for it. REI thanks you, of course. Um, Tell us about your favorite apps from this month. What should we be checking out in the app store surreptitiously around the Thanksgiving table? First you, Allison. Um, Well, for those of you that like your privacy and really um, uh, don't want to give out your numbers, there is something called Buzz, uh, which is... uh, essentially self-destructing the connections between uh, people's texting. So you've heard about when you text people, you can, um, you can use Kik or WhatsApp or, uh, or even Google Voice, and they'll have be self-destructing texts so that supposedly that's going to keep you safe. But actually, in fact, people can go and you know stalk you uh, in other ways because you are giving your 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 actual phone number, your mo- mobile number, to these uh, places. So this is a really neat um, app that basically does it with a buzz code. It's called Buzz, um, and it's, uh, after seventy two hours, um, it will ask you if you want to kill the connection between uh, you know. So me and Bill texting. I met Bill. You know, somewhere, I don't want him texting me anymore. And it just takes one person to say, I don't want you texting. And it's done. 
John Gilroy. Visible, V-I-Z-A-B-L-E. You know, everyone's got all this big data and big data. I was talking to this guy, and he has 75 IoT devices in his house, all generating data. And to multiply that by millions and millions, well, no one knows how to understand it. So there's a company called Tableau Software. They're making big inroads in universities, big inroads all over the world. And what they can do is they can show you how to take this data and understand it. And that's what this app does, V-I-Z. It's free for, uh, I think, an iPad. Invisible. Mm. Bill Harlow. All right, most important app of the month is uh, Neko Atsume Kitty Collector. It is I a game that. for <laughs> iOS and Android in which you can, uh, using uh, in-app purchases, it's going to warn you right now, you don't have to, but there are in-app purchases. You use fish to attract uh, cats to come to your little uh, kitty house, and you can take pictures of them, and you can um, try to find uh, other kitties. It is a great little time waster, and it doesn't take a lot of time. Just you know, pop it out now and then throughout the day, feed the cats. Code is going to spend the rest of the day doing that. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> Wasting time, of course, being my favorite occupation. Here, 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 finally, is Santiago in Falls Church, Virginia. Santiago, your Black Friday story. Um, yes, hello, uh, Kojo. Um, I just wanted to call because I worked at Best Buy for three years, so I had a front row seat to all that chaos. I am so sorry. Oh. <laughs> oh, God, I'm out of it now, so I'm thankful for that, but... Uh, I find it ironic that, you know, I see all these people shoving and kicking each other trying to get to these doorbuster deals the day after, you know, they celebrated being thankful for what they already had. Uh, That's a good, good characterization. I just wanted to point that out. Okay. Very good point. Excellent. Yeah. Thank you very yep. much for sharing that with us, Santiago. That's all the time we have. John Gilroy is Director for Business Development for BLT Global Ventures. John Gilroy, thank you for joining us. Thank you. Alison Druin is a professor at the iSchool at the University of Maryland and Special Advisor for National Digital Strategy for the National Park Service. Alison, thank you for joining us. Always a pleasure. And Bill Harlow is a hardware and software technician for Max and PCs at Mid-Atlantic Consulting Incorporated. Bill, thank you for joining us. Thank you. And thank you all for listening. I'm Kojo Namdi. Thanks for listening to the Kojo Namdi Show. And if you're already a member of WAMU 88.5, thank you for your support. If not, it's easy to give online at WAMU.org. Just click the Donate button, and thanks.